Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask, where everyone has something they can teach you. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler. In this episode, we are going to explore why we do what we do when it comes to money. As a CPA for the past 30 years, wait, let me say 25 because that makes me sound younger. I have seen it all when it comes to money and emotions. And if you think I'm talking about my clients, I'm not. I'm talking about myself. My relationship with money has been, and sometimes still is, an emotional roller coaster. Maybe that's something you're also familiar with. Good news. You and I are not the only ones. Our next guest is going to share their money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges as well. Buckle your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. Our next guest, Yemi Penn, is an author, documentary producer, speaker, engineer, and all-around fearless thought leader on creating your own memo. And in case you didn't get the memo, that's based on her book, Did You Get the Memo? (laughs) So (laughs) she is a tireless advocate for self-empowerment and guiding others to create their own memo. Yemi Penn is a global businesswoman dedicated to raising awareness on worldly issues, daring humanity to act on creating a just world. I think we probably need to add warrior in the description. Born in the UK, childhood in Nigeria, stint in Okinawa, Japan, and now living in Sydney, Australia, Yemi is a citizen of the world. She has multiple businesses, an engineering management consultancy in Sydney, an F45 fitness studio in Brixton, London, and her transformation company under her brand of Yemi Pen. With qualifications ranging from project management to neuro-linguistic programming, NLP for some of you, and methods taught to her personally by Jack Canfield and Tony Robbins, Yemi helps transmute pain to power. She has the book, Did You Get the Memo? And a documentary, Did I Choose My Trauma? I am super, super, super excited and sincerely excited, Yemi, to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so, so much, Bob. I'm actually really excited about this. I know I said never cited, but I find out more about myself and hearing your work, this is the best way to start my weekend. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, you know, we're going to hopefully tie all this stuff together. We're going to talk about trauma and we're going to talk about finance. And you share with people, and I don't know if you're still doing it at the moment, but you have a program called Genetics of Money. Yeah, I want to talk about that. And I don't know if you find this to be true, but whenever I tell a group of people, hey, let's all get together and talk about money, they run. <laughs> Nobody's jumping up and going, oh my God, let me talk about my debt and my trauma about my bankruptcy. They just don't get excited. I knew you were going to crack me open in the beginning, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> so can you say something about that your experience with people when you talk with them about money? Because it is part of the story and it's going to layer it into the trauma and other life experiences. But I'm just curious your experience when you bring up the topic of money. So, Bob, firstly, I want to keep it real and talk about my own nervousness with talking about money. So when you say when I bring up money, sometimes I still don't even do that. I'm still working on my money story. Yeah, It's ongoing. But what's quite interesting is whenever I go or I run a seminar, I notice that a lot of people do what I did for a long time, which is kind of like cover your face with your hand and look at your bank account through the gap of two fingers. It is the fear of the unknown. I believe a lot of people don't even know 
how to look at money. At the moment, I work with some people in business who don't actually understand numbers. And I'm still learning numbers because I genuinely didn't get the memo on how to run businesses. The only memo I got was how to go and work for someone else who would know how to run the numbers. And so a lot of this has been self-taught. So a lot of people do freeze. I think it's because it potentially brings up some sort of imposter syndrome, but we just never even get the time to talk about it. So how would we know? Well, absolutely. And I have a sense that my belief is we all have secrets Mm. and we're working so hard for nobody to find them out. Like we're hoping we can take that last breath and we didn't get caught. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) didn't you just saying that felt like I had like 12 monkeys on my back? What a life to spend so much time. And I get it. I've got empathy. I am that woman. Most of the fears I've had around money and business was what happens if I fail? Right. Like what happens if I fail and everyone knows and that's how much money I've spent. And my mom, God love her, you know, most of her advice back in the day was, yeah, don't because you're going to lose so much money and it might fail. And I thought, and I know that was coming from a good place, but that's because her money story, which I guess I inherited, was just keep your money where you know it's going to be safe. Don't be losing it. Don't touch it. Just look at it, basically. Well, absolutely. And for me, and I talk about this a lot, probably too much, but I was taught that I am my successes, right? So my value, my self-worth was tied to my net worth. And so if I don't have lots of these accomplishments, then when am I? Yeah, I've got to be interesting. I've got to hit all these marks. And so keeping my secrets and going out on a win at least my final resume will say win instead of Mm -hmm. pretty good, except at the last moment, failure. (laughs) Yes, you're absolutely right. And that's probably uniform, I think, across a number of generations. I mean, I've got a 14-year-old daughter and every now and again, I look at her and think, oh, what's your generation going to be like? I don't know whether there's going to be a gap or a change, but definitely we did get that. But I also want to be really authentic and open here because You started off by saying, why is it no one wants to talk about bankruptcy and insolvency? And even when you were describing my intro, I was twitching. I was like, oh, he shouldn't be saying I run all these businesses because you want to change the way you live. And as we go on in this interview, I'll share how my journey with money is going. But I'm still uncomfortable with acknowledging that I did come into lots of money. But the truth of the matter is I'm probably about to lose some money as well. For me, it's the relationship with money that we've got to get healthy as opposed to what we think. But that's difficult because a lot of us were born into that thinking that we are our successes and money. Absolutely. It's just not one of those things where we want to run out and express our failures, right? Yeah. Being vulnerable, as I'm sure you're aware with the folks you've worked with, being vulnerable, it seems so counterintuitive that it actually makes people connect with us more yeah. or people can resonate with what we're saying because I know for me, I'm feeling my shame. I'm feeling my embarrassment. I'm, how is this connecting? But the truth is I have found when I push through that, that people can look and say, oh my God, thank you for not being perfect because I was making all these self-judgments. Yeah. And I think so many people do that. And one of the things that you say, and I said it in your bio, is that you want to go out and dare the world their humanity to provide a just world. And a lot of people would be afraid to say, I want to make a difference in the world. Yeah. And I think we all do. I think we all want to be in connection. I think we all want to matter. And I think deep down, even the worst human in the world, deep down wants to have a positive impact. That's my belief. Yes. And I'm with you. I mean, 
if there was a line, I would be standing right next to you that I truly believe we do. And I know we've had so many other thought leaders share the same thing, but I really believe we do the feeling you have. All I've got to do sometimes is witness when someone in public on the street is struggling and someone else comes in or someone's bank card, you know, bounces or declines at the till. There is somebody in that line who actually really wants to go and help, but they've just got all this noise in their head. So I absolutely agree with you. I mean, me daring humanity to be just, you can tell already from my star sign, I'm a bull. Everything has to be a little <laughs> bit like fighty, fighty. So my dare is like this kind of cheeky challenge because if we love a challenge, that's got to be it. It's got to be the case that I don't feel someone's going to shame me because I want to help someone. You know, I did get called out once when I just wanted to pay for someone coffee. You know, my partner started doing that. He goes and gets his coffee and he pays for the next 10 people. You know, things like that. That's not even just it. It's kind, but it's giving. Yeah. We want to create the space that it's okay to give without someone thinking there's an ulterior motive. Yeah. I feel like sometimes humanity has gotten off a little track and away from kindness and gratitude. Yeah. As if those are not things to be championed or Absolutely. nurtured because it's rough out there. Yeah, it is. And I think, I mean, this is where we can go down the rabbit hole. The reason why kindness and gratitude might have taken a back seat is because resources in the notion of money has been the primary thing. If you do this, then you're going to be behind. If you do this, you're going to be behind. And it's absolutely the opposite. Yeah. If you do the kindness and the gratitude, that money, come, that literally is the, what's the word? It's the bullseye of my money story. It's yeah. that when I haven't been attached or been so fixated on making it, it's come really really easy according to how I was told you could make money. So that's the secret that not many of us got the memo on. Yeah. And I definitely feel like there are people out there pushing kindness, pushing gratitude, focusing on things that I would resonate with. It's just not as sexy in the social media, right? Yeah. The fancy car and that I drove over 10 people to get it. That's a story, right? Not that he's kind and compassionate and saving animals or whatever it is. That's just not as fun. And so I think our priorities as how we measure or how media tells us we should measure is off the mark because I think a lot of us don't. It's just they're not on the radar. Absolutely. But I think this is why, as well as the stuff I do when I say they're in humanity, we've got to show up. The everyday people, the Bob Wheelies, the Anthonys, we've got to show up because what's happening is we watch TV and we're seeing our leaders who really, their primary focus, unless I've got something wrong, is get that GDP up, make sure you're powerful, make sure you've got the resources, you've got this. But if we have more people, more thought leaders, whatever you want to call it, showing up, and I know it's a very clustered world, especially now everything is online. We've got to show up and where we can show our vulnerability. So at some point, I'll be sharing with my community that, look, I'm about to make one of my businesses potentially insolvent. I mean, I still need to look into it. That's a worst case scenario, but that's because, and don't get me wrong, there's an element of privacy I still want to keep. But I have to have sound strong. I want to do that because the narrative needs to start changing. Whether you've got lots of riches or you don't have much, can we have a healthy relationship with money? And can we actually change the economy to kindness? Can we change it to support? Let's change it up a bit. Absolutely. And talking about memos, I didn't get the memo that you get to actually change your mind and change course, right? Yeah. No, you have to stay the course. Well, that's going to fail. No, you have to stay it because that's what you picked. 
No, I actually get to stop and say, wait a minute, let me cut my losses. This isn't serving me. And I'm going to move in a different direction without shame. Oh, but I really think don't laugh at me. I think you've been sent into my inbox today to share that message. (laughs) Because really, you know, I'm having to self-teach myself. And every now and again, I make sure that I surround myself with people that say, that's okay. Why can't we change our mind? Don't get me wrong. You can keep changing and changing, but there comes a certain time that inner guidance, that inner tuition that says, okay, I've got to count my losses. What have I learned from this? You know, if that business does go down that route, there's so much I've learned from it. I.e. do not open a cafe again for a very long time. <laughs> but there is a lesson to be learned. And I am probably going to go open another one in a couple of years, but this time it will be tighter. We have to give ourselves permission to change course. Absolutely. You know, and as you were saying that, what I'm reminded is we have permission to change our minds. We don't have to give up hope in the process. Yes, absolutely. We don't. We've got to hold on to it. I think that there's so much unlearning to be done because I, sometimes I feel, you know, just in the couple of minutes we've been speaking, it feels like I'm saying the opposite to what we were taught. Right. You don't have to give up hope. Yes, sit down, recollect, feel the feels, but whatever got in you to start a venture or to create wealth or money, that still resides. It's actually got more knowledge. Dust yourself off and get back to it again. Absolutely. One of the things that you said that I want to touch back on is everyday people stepping up and giving voice. Mm. And I know for myself, and I'm sure a lot of people out there, when I first wrote my book and did these things that I wanted to put out in the world, I said to myself, who am I to do this? And I'm scared and I'm not perfect and I'm going to get parts of it wrong and I might stumble on my words. And who am I? Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I was doing work and working with other people and you know, the reflection back was you're an expert in your own story. And so nobody can tell me I'm wrong on that, right? (laughs) They might challenge my beliefs or they might challenge some of my stories that are just stories, but my life experience is my life experience and nobody can say that was wrong. Correct. So from that place, we're all powerful and it's so important to find that voice. I was terrified to speak in front of people other than Like I could do comedy, which people are like, that doesn't make any sense. But I didn't have to be intelligent. I just had to make people laugh. But if I have to get up and be intelligent or say a full sentence properly, terrifying for me. But do it anyway, people. Do it anyway. Step up and be heard. What you've done is you've given people the opportunity to say, if you are scared, start with the thing nobody can question you on, which is your experience. Because it is yours. It is your view. And I have got to say something else. I mean, I actually think comedians are extremely intelligent. You pick up cues, you know whether the audience is leaning into that as laughter, you know which one to drag on. I wouldn't underestimate it. I think our battle is what, I guess, the perceived notion of intelligence, because that's how I feel. I mean, I'm a woman in engineering and it took me years, almost a decade, to speak up in a meeting because I was absolutely crippled with the fact that there was everybody else in the room who knew more than me. At some point, I have to say, well, how the hell are you going to learn if you're just going to keep it into yourself? You've got to be okay with completely face planting in front of everybody because you got it wrong. The only thing I had to get used to was saying, okay, I didn't know that. I'm going to learn. That literally is my notion. Nobody can ever call me out for getting anything wrong because I believe, as wonderful Brene Brown says, I'm stepping into the arena. I'm trying to learn. So unless you are in that arena with me, you're going to need to be silent and step back. And that's how I show up now, regardless of whether I know the topic. 
And the superpower that I invite everyone to own is knowing what you don't know, because when you do that, you can't be faulted and just be open to learn. Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing for leaders to admit is knowing that they don't know. Yeah. And being able to say, I actually don't know. Let me do a little research. Correct. Let me get back to you. That's not my area. I don't have to. I think sometimes leaders are so busy trying to protect their turf once they get it. Yeah. That they focus on not letting go instead of actually moving forward. Yeah. And the question is why? Why are they so scared of it? Because in the past, I've seen people be absolutely cut at the knees for doing things wrong. But this is where everybody's showing up and just having unison in that voice to add kindness as another resource, as another economy, then people wouldn't. They would make mistakes. You think about everything that we've gone through over the past couple of years. There have been so many things that could have been done differently. But the truth of the matter is, whoever's probably leading has probably never experienced in memory this thing. So why wouldn't you say, okay, sorry, my bad, never quite experienced this before. So we really are trying to do the best we can. You say that to a nation and you be open and humble and say, however, we now know better. So we're going to change it. And we want you to come on this journey. We need you to do this. Just the change in words and approach is, for me, the difference between a phenomenal leader and, and someone who isn't. Yeah, it's so true. And when you were just saying that reminds me in the U.S. specifically, and I don't know about the rest of the world, but in the U.S., there are so many lawsuits against companies and different things. And the research has found that most people would have actually been fine with an apology (laughs) and didn't actually need the money or want the money. They just wanted somebody to say, I see that I impacted you in a painful way. I'm sorry. And so many people don't say anything. Don't give your story because we got to refute it. And then they were so busy defending Mm. instead of actually just feeling, wow, I screwed up. I hurt this person. Let me make amends. How powerful. As you were talking, because it sounds like we're both getting downloads. And so my brain ultimate stuff says, why is that happening? Why is that happening? I like to get to the source as quickly as possible. Remember, we've also built professions on those kind of lawsuits, that kind of anger, that extension or inability to apologize, we've built professions on that. Yeah. And so you start to make certain professions obsolete. And unless we have world leaders who say, we've got to change the paradigm, we might find it going on for centuries. I'm currently trying to do business in a whole different way. It's fun having people look at me saying, so no money, no physical money, going to go into my bank account. I'm like, no, I'm going to share this resource, this skill I have that I know you potentially could benefit from. And I'd love it if you could share the same. And it's different, but I think we start introducing it one by one. And I think that's how we see change. That is really cool. Now, here's what I have to ask you, though. How does your parents' money story fit into your money story and into like these shifts that you're having? Are you letting go of money stories from your mom and your dad? Or is there adjusting along the way? What's the process? Because you talk about that a little bit about how our parents influence our money story. Yeah. So I'm curious on a personal level, as you're stepping out and making these changes, how does that story just in the back there come to play? Very great question, especially at this point in my life. Definitely most of us have heard that money doesn't grow on trees, don't waste money. And so I've had to be really careful of the language when I'm speaking to my kids, especially my daughter who would say, can I have the iPhone 12, the iPhone 13? And trying to get her to understand the context, what I'd say is have the money, but that's not what I want to spend it on right now. Whereas back in the day, so those are the things that I would have inherited, but 
it's not that they didn't have money because then my mind started to think, oh, we are always on struggle street financially. But that wasn't the case. But I understand they didn't have the time to explain all of that. But I definitely picked that up. But I changed the language as I go on. The part I'm struggling with at the moment, my dad, who passed away a couple of years ago in Nigeria, he inherited a lot of wealth. So his dad, my granddad, was a property tycoon in Nigeria. Obviously, then we had oil reserves that <laughs> hadn't been taken. But he literally had lots of property. And that's where the wealth came from. And my dad had it as well, but he enjoyed his wealth, as my mum puts it. Because remember, we always hear different sides of the story. Right. He enjoyed his wealth. So when I started setting up businesses, which was something not many of my siblings were doing at the time, my mum's fear, especially when I started speaking about it publicly, was, Yemi, don't tell too many people because people might start leeching on you like they did with your dad. So that's something I've built into my money story. So whenever you're reading out my bio and I'm no, don't tell people. That's still in the back of my head. Right. And so what I'm now trying to fight is that just because I make money doesn't mean there are people out there who want to bleed me dry. So I'm having to change the narrative. But once again, I don't have the guidelines. So I'm still working through that. The last bit is losing money. I haven't got the answer to that. Is that the end of the world if you lose money? I don't think so. But everybody else seems to really cringe it. And don't you have to kind of make or lose money, spend money to make money? I'm still, once again, if you got the memo, Bob, let me have it because I don't know where it is. <laughs> I have seen a lot of incredibly happy people with no money mm. were much happier when everything failed because it took all the pressure off. Yeah. So <laughs> this notion that if you lose money, it's a fail. Uh, yeah. Like you, it's a lesson. Yeah. It's just a lesson. Yeah. This money story and how we carry it in, you know, when you were talking about your mom not wanting everybody to know mm. and that if people know you have money, I think for me, the biggest thing, and maybe this is true for a lot of people, learning to set a boundary, yeah, learning to actually say, no, I have it. And I've chosen not to share that at this time mm. or I'm choosing to do something differently. I didn't get that memo. I thought I had to just hand everything over. Yeah. And you know, my parents struggled. And so if they borrowed money from the piggy bank and didn't pay it back, it's not that I blame them for that. It was just a message of what's the point Yeah. <laughs> as a kid. That was the story. And now I can say, I'm not able to do that right now. My resources are being tapped for something else and I feel your pain and I'm not going to be able to help you on this part of your journey. I like that a lot because I also had this kind of thing, this weird stigma. So I have contracts with the government and those are for large sums of money. And I have no problem getting money from the government. But when it comes to the everyday Joe, just even pricing my products, I struggle. So I know that there's some work I've got to do there. It's like, well, you can't just give everything for free, Yemi. So I've got to find a way to balance it. And I like that. When people come to me and ask for something, I say, look, I'd love to help. But my time, because my time is really important to me, it's really constrained at the moment. I'd love to support you and I really hope you find a way out. But in this instance, I can't help. I think you've just allowed me to get some words together. So thank you. Well, so for me, the piece that's been missing is we can say no, but we can say it with compassion. Yes. We don't have to go, no, you greedy. No. Yes. I'd love to help. And I think that piece has been missing, at least for me, realizing, oh, I can do this with compassion and I can do it with love. I can do it with heart. Mm. And still set a strong boundary 
and not feel like I have to please them. I just don't have to do it with cruelty and shame. And I believe a reason why we, in the past, and some people still do it with aggression, is because of unresolved trauma. If something has happened in our past or we've seen it, and because there's no way of managing that emotion of discomfort of not being able to help somebody, like that's it. We actually really want to help someone, but we are so frustrated with the fact that, firstly, how dare you ask? And secondly, I can't even help you because I don't want to. And that emotion's bubbling and it just comes out as venom as opposed to, I'm really sorry, I can't. Empathy, respect for self. That requires you to resolve trauma, especially around money. Absolutely. So trauma, you're taking us right where I wanted to go. In your own life, you had trauma and you say that it did change something. In hindsight, you could see that there was a lack of self-worth. Yeah. But you pushed through it. You persevered. And sometimes if we don't have a negative experience, we can't know a positive experience. Yeah. If we don't know being trapped, we can't know freedom, like fully. Yeah. And so I'm curious in your own trauma, and I know a lot more people have experienced trauma than necessarily acknowledge. I was surprised when I was getting feedback about a lot of trauma that I experienced. I'm like, oh no, I was fine. And then had to process through it. And I'm like, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. How do you push through? How did you push through? And even though the trauma doesn't disappear, the relationship to it perhaps changes. Yeah. And once again, the more I do interviews and talk, the more I'm able to just be really open. So I always like to give that real straight up one that we can all relate to. The way I pushed through was, to be honest, I had to inherit once again what generations before me had done, which was push through. I had to get a house over my head. So, you know, people talk about depression, anxiety, and It feels more prevalent in today's society, but it probably did happen in the past that we probably had highly functioning depressed people to some capacity. And their depression might come about as anger or illnesses or whatever it is. So a big part of me was pushing through, but it was unhealthy. And I do think I was going to get sick if I really didn't acknowledge it. But that was exactly the beginning. It was the acknowledgement. You're absolutely right. I think everybody, when I gave my TED talk, I gave the stats, which I think would have probably doubled by now. But in America alone, at least 70% of every adult has experienced at least one traumatic event. And just acknowledging it, not to wallow in a victim story, and it's not to take away victims and how they feel, but your acknowledgement does not mean you are wanting everything to come up, but it's to acknowledge that that thing you went through is actually still playing havoc at a subconscious level to the point It's potentially impacting your relationships, your money story. Just that understanding is the freedom. So for me, that was it. It was, why do I do like this? Because here I was, marriage was failing. I had two kids, two different dads. That was never part of my story. A lot of it was because I wouldn't even acknowledge what I went through and the potential that I operate in a certain way as a way to protect myself. So that's how I got through acknowledging it. I think that's so important. I've done a lot of work in core energetics and radical aliveness, which is somatic work. And one of the exercises that we do that I've done and what I would do with other people is exploring what do I have to feel if I don't blame? Mm. Like if I'm, you did this and you did this and it's your fault and it's your fault. And if I have to actually let go of the blame, what do I have to feel? And so what do I get to avoid feeling by blaming? And if we stop and acknowledge well, there's a lot of pain. Yeah. There's isolation. There's disappointment. There's 
whatever those feelings are that we, uh, those are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'd rather not acknowledge, but the more we can name them, own them, then they don't own us. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you're on Instagram, but I have to write that as a post. What do I have to feel if I don't blame? A powerful question. Very quickly, I want to tell a very, very quick story. Yeah. I live in Australia. I've moved out back the bush, go into my pantry and I see this big ass spider. I'm talking <laughs> big as my palm. And anyway, I go through a whole series. And because I really do like to include my community, I start talking to people on Facebook and someone says, name it. <laughs> name the spider. So I named them Sherbet because it was the best thing I could come up with. But naming the spider Sherbet took away a lot of the fear. And you just saying that, just name it, name what happened. It really takes the sting out. And if I can do it for a spider, then trust me, we should be able to do it for some of our gruesome events that's happened in our life. It makes a difference. That's probably a very easy step. Just name it. I love it. I love Sherbert the spider already. <laughs> much friendlier spider. <laughs> yes. With eight eyes. Yes. Much friendlier. <laughs> that, that's crazy. I want to talk about something I told you ahead of time that I just loved Faith Agugu. Amazing in the documentary. She shares a quote, and I think it's central to what you're talking about in the documentary about trauma. And the quote, karma is not about taking blame, but making the choice to be at cause for change rather than effect, which is disempowering. For me, it felt really significant, important, because in the documentary, and you talk about this, do I choose my trauma at a child's level? No, I don't choose that. Yeah. On a spiritual level, maybe, right? Yeah. We don't fully know, but if we're coming from that spiritual place that maybe I did knowingly in another lifetime choose to come in for people that that resonates with. But this part about, it's not saying though that karma makes me a victim. No. And I just wonder if you could say a little bit more about that. Yeah. So karma in itself is a word that would make people either just tense up or full on want a body rugby tapping you to the floor. Because I think karma has been discussed as a way of blame. You know, it goes back to the blame. Well, you did this, so you get that. And I literally believe it's about balance. And the best way that that documentary could do it, because when we did a first showing with people who had gone through extreme forms of trauma, that was where they felt unstuck. But usually where we feel stuck is actually where there's work to be done. Karma is basically saying you have a choice to either be at cause, meaning that you are the person who is kind of driving the wheel or you are the person in front of the car being pushed around by the person driving the wheel. And that's the effect of the car moving. The truth of the matter is, Bob, we could go deeper, but I'm fully aware that I feel my work in this lifetime is to speak to people who are kind of opening, you know, their wounds, but they're opening, they're listening. And so I might go deeper and talk about karma, which can go back to past lives. And, you know, I'm currently now doing a PhD that will look into that. But in order to do that, I've got to have people who are at least willing to understand that maybe there could have been a past life because most of us don't get that context because we're here and now. Right. But at a minimum, karma is about acknowledging that you decide whether you want to be at cause in the driver's seat or effect in front of the car. And it's not about control, but it's about being empowered as to what happens to you. And the quote that Faith shared, Mm -hmm. which it wasn't hers, the quote, because it all ties together, is that trauma not transformed is transferred. Correct. And for me, it reminds me of, I remember a saying that somebody told me is we can either pass it on 
like, I don't want that. I'm not going to take that. We can either pass it on or pass it forward. Yes. Meaning we're going to just keep passing it to the next generation. Oh, you gave me shame. I'm going to pass that forward. Yeah. So, you know, with my family, I've tried to turn around and say, hey, thanks for sharing this, but I'd like to hand that back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. I'm going to pass on that (laughs) because I don't want to pass it on. And to that point of that, if we don't transform it, we transfer it to the next generation. We transfer it to the people around us. Can you say a little bit more about that? Absolutely. I mean, it sounds really powerful. And for some people, it might be a gimmick. But just to say again, if your trauma is not transformed, there's a high possibility you will transfer it. But I want to add something else. You actually have no idea how. Another quick example, 14-year-old daughter going through her own traumatic experience. And when I witnessed something she was going through, I didn't realize that I reverted back to seven-year-old Yemi Mm. in how I responded to her trauma. I mean, this is how deep it is. So in that event, which happened in 2020, that took me back to therapy room. It took her, but it had to take me. And it's quite interesting that because Faith of Google was at the middle of that as well. But I've been able to figure out that if I hadn't changed, because it was called disassociating, what I did was just almost pretend like it wasn't happening. Now, the transference doesn't mean you take that exact thing or that exact trauma event and hand it over. But it's actually how you deal with it. It's actually how you show up in the world. And that for me was powerful. That was when I was like, okay, I've got to start cleaning my trauma. And so what we don't realize as well is if we've been victimized, sometimes we feel the only way to do it is victimize other people before it happens to us. So there are so many ways of transferring it. So the question is just choose. You want to transform it? And you can do that by doing what we're doing. You're not running this podcast for thousands, millions of people to listen to because you've just sat on your knowledge or your pain. You're actually using it. Yeah. To me, this work is so important because so many people out there didn't get the memo, right? Yeah. For me, the longest time people would say, look, when you're dealing with trauma, there's flight or fight. Yeah. And I kept going, no, that's not me. I shut down. Mm. Like I was frozen. Please, yeah. And it wasn't until later somebody said, oh, well, that's sort of part of flight. It's just a passive flight. <laughs> and I was like, oh, because I kept going, I'm not fighting and I'm not fleeing. I'm just checking out. Yeah. Removing myself from my body. My body's present. And I think that's true for a lot of people that they disassociate and doing this work and continually just coming back into the arena coming back into the fire, we learn to stay a little bit longer. Yeah. And we learn to tolerate the pain. Absolutely. It's like the story of the lobster or the crab, whereby they've got the shell, the body, but in order to grow, there is this comfort. That shell has to crack and then a new one comes on. And that's how I see. So every time I'm going through pain, I just think of the lobster, just think of the lobster. They've got it together. You will. You just keep on getting like richer and richer in who you are and what you can give back. Yeah. The funny thing is when I started doing the work, people would joke with me. My mentors would say, Bob, you always come into this kicking and screaming. I'm always like, I don't want to do this. I hate this. I don't want to have any feelings. If I had them, I would share them, but I don't feel I'm not doing this. Right. And then I always feel transformed when I do it. Mm -hmm. It's not stuff that we all go. This is going to be a fun weekend. (laughs) Yeah, it's not. (laughs) It's not. It is uncomfortable. It's when I remember going into my first therapy session. I think it felt like forever. And I said, look, I need this to be done 
in six sessions because I've got stuff to do. I've got to feed these kids and need to pay the bills. And she just started laughing and she just, I was like really serious, but we eventually worked through the fact that I think it needs to be done in a confined period of time, but we do. And I think that's the bit that, you know, I can imagine you and I are trying to do in our work is to say to people that it might be uncomfortable, but that transformation at the other end, it's really great. It doesn't mean everything's fixed. It just means that when stuff comes up for you again, it doesn't take as long. For me, like the imposter syndrome, it's still there. It just turns out that I, I walk down that ladder a lot quicker than I used to. And that's the beauty of the transformation for me. Absolutely. We cannot get taken out. <laughs> we can't. We've got work to do. Yeah. We can't get taken out. We can say, ouch, not fun. And I'm still here. I'm still showing up. Boom. Love that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're at the Fast Five. And the Fast Five are brought to you by Acorns, where you can invest, spare change, bank smarter, save for retirement, and much more. For more information, check out this episode's show notes. Yummy, here's the Fast Five. I'm going to throw them at you. What was the last purchase you made that you had to talk yourself into? Uh, Booking a hotel room in the city. Just too expensive? Yeah, well, too expensive. And I'm trying to just be more sustainable with my spending. So do you really need, why can't you watch the show and just drive back home? And I'm usually very free. So I'm the opposite. I'm spend, spend, spend. Whereas I want to become more conscious. And I did need to talk myself into that. (laughs) And when was the last time you felt regret after making a purchase? It was, I bought a cafe because it had been a dream. (laughs) A dream after retirement. So there was a little bit of regret of, yeah, I mean, you know nothing about this industry, but the regret eventually morphed into life lesson regardless of what happens. And you got free coffee, sort of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally. Or expensive coffee. <laughs> I go all the way over there, even though there's a coffee shop right close, I drive 40 minutes to go get that coffee. Yes. <laughs> well, you got to support your own business. You just do. You got to support. Absolutely. <laughs> With everything you've accomplished, what gives you the most pleasure? giving and seeing someone realize something they didn't know was within them or that they could work out. Most pleasure. The best. Cool. What's the best birthday experience you ever had? It'd have to be my 10th birthday. That just came flashing right in. That was in Nigeria and it was a whole thing. I mean, you wear the bright colors, the party, the dancing. They put that music on. You got every kid using that right shoulder to shuffle. That was the best five. I'm going to do it again for my 40. If you're going to see videos with me with my shoulder. <laughs> Doing the right shoulder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was the worst gift you ever received and didn't have the heart to tell someone? <laughs> Why you got to do this to me, Bob? <laughs> we got to have a little laugh. <laughs> oh, an auntie got us these bags from America. I think she thought it's what teenagers wanted. And um, it was pretty awful. It was awful. So awful that we lost our manners and forgot to say thank you. And so when she called back to say, you guys don't have any banners, we just then had to lie. And I don't like lying, but I did lie that day. I did not like it. They were the most amazing bags ever. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's hilarious. We've all done something like that. Or many of us have. Yeah, agreed. Well, we are at our M&M moment, our money and motivation Do you have a practical financial tip or a piece of wealth wisdom you could share with our audience? This worked for you? You know, I was thinking this and it feels big, but just hold here for a second. A money tip I do is think about ways in which you could diversify your income regardless of how small it is. 
whether it's volunteering and you getting paid slightly less than they would because they're a not-for-profit or tutoring kids. And if you want to take it bigger scale, it could be coaching or speaking. I think diversifying firstly keeps the brain moving. And it also, in my view, gives you an alternative for changing should you want to at some point. Awesome. 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 Well, Yemi, I've loved this conversation. I told you from the beginning I was going to love it. I knew (laughs) we're going to have an amazing conversation. Here's some of the things that I really appreciate. You were willing to just actually be honest and say, here's my story, right? And you even said, I'm a little nervous and talking about money stuff or hearing the bio. That's just keeping it real and keeping it in the moment instead of trying to position or present in a certain way is just being vulnerable and saying, this is me. Also, when you talked about your parents and your mom, I think you said, bless her soul, you know, there's a kindness there. There's not this blame of, oh my God, my parents didn't get the download. They didn't give me the memo. How dare they, right? You went out and created your own memo and you're helping other people find their memos. So what I didn't hear was a lot of blame. I didn't hear a lot of victim. And talking about trauma is just not something that is a light conversation. And trauma has an impact on somebody's life to the deepest core. To be able to share that and make it about your transformation or making it pushing through even if there's still remnants of showing up here and there. It's not about like, I'm this victim. I really appreciated in the documentary, this piece about, if you don't see the darkness, you can't see the lightness. And really reflecting it from that perspective of seeing it as the potential for growth and transformation. I really appreciate that because sharing trauma is just not something everybody's like, oh yeah, go share the trauma. Mm. Don't reveal our family secrets. You're going to out us. People will see us for who we are instead of who we want them to see us for. And that's really powerful because going back to, I feel like most of us have lived much of our lives trying to keep secrets from being found out so that we can present well. And I really appreciate that you showed up and were you. Thank you so much. I love that. I love that summary. Thank you and for seeing and hearing the essence, which is take away blame and to just show up authentically. So thank you very much for seeing me. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Oh, yummy. Well, we got to tell people where they can find you on social media, on the internet. They've got to check out your book. Definitely, you've got to watch the documentary. It doesn't cost anything. It's on YouTube. But I'll let you share some of this information. I'm going to advocate here, so. Thank you. Going to my website will update you on what I'm doing, which tends to change every three months. So it's yemipen.com, Y-E-M-I-P-E-N-N. And I kind of got two versions to myself. I'm also on LinkedIn as an engineer. I still like to talk about different things and how organizations, you know, relate. But if you want to find out the real Yemi, the kind of cheeky Yemi who says things that you shouldn't say, but everyone thinks, find me on Instagram. And that's just yemi.pen. Awesome. Well, we'll put all that in show notes so we can get everybody coming your way. Yemi, thanks again. It's just been a wonderful conversation. I appreciate it. Likewise. Thank you, Bob. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you learn something new about your relationship to money today? Maybe you have a friend who has some financial blocks or beliefs that are holding them back. Please share this podcast so they too can get off the roller coaster ride of financial fears and journey towards financial freedom. To learn how to have a healthy relationship with money, visit themoneynerve.com. 
That's nerve, not nerd. We'll be back next week with another perspective on money and the emotions that bind us. 